0: Hi, I'm Lonnie Watson, high school counselor.
1: And I'm Jerry Mack, high school principal.
0: Welcome to our podcast, The School Office,
1: where we give tactical and practical tips for working in a high-performing public school.
0: We have been to all the conferences. We have read all the books. We are tired of hearing from experts who are not in the trenches working with students, parents, and staff every day.
1: So if you want to learn about all things that work for us in our profession, you're in the right place.
0: Thanks for joining us. This is The School Office. All right, Jerry, here we go. The episode that I am going to spin the troops up. I'm excited. So if you want to get, if you're a teacher, and you want to get worked up about grades um, or you want to get spun up here? Here I go.
1: Going with grades. Yeah. And we actually mentioned this in the last podcast. And so I've been ready for it because it's, it's been a frustrating topic. And so again, we're recording this during the coronavirus crisis. And that's why this came to mind I guess for me is is we redid our grading policy to mastery learning and, and we can go into more detail on it. And I just came to realize how much teachers don't understand about grades.
0: What we learned. We did a whole episode about what we learned. You know what I learned, Jerry? What'd you learn? Teachers and parents don't have freaking idea <laughs> about grades. You guys nobody None. understands None. them.
1: None.
0: Let's tell some stories. So here's my first story about grading. And, and I'm going to go, I'm going to tell some personal stories about grading. And first off, grading is hard. It it seems easy. It seems like it should be easy, but it is very, very hard. Um, in fact, I'm there third professionals in education that their whole job is to teach like an English teacher how to grade a standard. Like that is their whole job. They travel the nation teaching teachers how to grade. Um, so grading is hard. Here's what I found out. Kids don't understand grades. Mm -hmm. Teachers sure as hell don't understand grades. They don't understand their grade books. Um, Parents don't understand grades. There are some administrators who don't understand grades. Mm -hmm. Um, There are probably school counselors who don't understand grades. So I found out really fast when we changed how we were going to grade to more of a mastery Mm -hmm. learning Um, that one, parents and teachers, or parents and students are very, and I'll throw teachers, and they're very hung up on grades. That was very hard to get out of this mindset that we're going to grade in a different way. And two, they they don't even know how the grade book works. Like, I don't, I'm convinced that if, if our system didn't do it for them, like, not many of them know, understand the math behind why the grade is the way it is.
1: I remember when we was first setting up when grade books went from paper pencil. That's how old I am. It used to be a paper grade book, and and that they're all a, online or a, a learning management system takes over now. Um, I remember when we first went to that. Teachers were weighting grades, and when they were weighting grades, they didn't understand the weights had to add up to hundred percent. So, and that's years ago. And I remember <laughs> that was that was step one. I was teaching at that time that. You can weight it however you want in these different categories, which sound really cool in your grade book, but those weights have to add up to 100% or it doesn't work very well. So that was the first tricky one. And then the part that when I became an administrator, um, and I actually had to sit down with teachers, and I sat with them to redo their grading policies because when parents were calling me with complaints about the grades of their kids in classes, I couldn't defend the teacher. And if I couldn't defend the teacher... Something has to change, and it was the the grade book. And so we'd have this the, the teachers that don't have weighted grades would have points. And so, you know, a daily grade is worth five points and five points and five points. And then this research paper, this one project is worth 200 points. Um, just make it up, you know, an example. And it's like, I remember, and I won't give away the class, but I remember this one class with this one teacher, one grade alone for an entire semester was worth more than 10% of the entire ending semester grade. And it's like, that just seems like that's just a, a a club or a bat that you're swinging at a kid, you know. So then if this one wasn't done, um, the, the kids could not, could not. They could get a, a, an entire 100% on everything. They could not even come close to getting an A because if they missed this one assignment. Um, So we had to, you know, redo some stuff. And actually, that's when with that teacher, we sprinkled in daily work just to get more points around it in some other pieces. And then I remember, and so a classic one is like an English department with research papers. I have no problem that you want to put the research paper worth a lot of points. But that doesn't mean you wait until the end and then here's the, okay, everything in my class was worth five points to ten points except for this, multi-hundreds of points research paper, and so we finally got an agreement, and the teachers were really good in, in, in this school that, okay, step one here, this is, gets graded at 50 points, this next step gets graded at 50, so at least a kid has an opportunity to get these little points along the way for the same big total that you want it worth. Oh, it's just, and then we get into the, the whole deal with, it's just, yeah, I don't know. So, <laughs> I'm
0: just smiling. Uh, there's just guess, so much we could talk about. Oh, I could slay when and, it comes to and, grades. And
1: the reason it showed up now is when we did the school closure, we didn't do percentage grading. We just wanted kids to do the work and participate. So we called it mastery.
0: Oh, what? We wanted them to learn? Yep.
1: We, we, just, we, want, wanted,
0: we just wanted them to you learn. just want them to what? learn. That's what this just is about, participate right?
1: Participate in exactly. learning. And so if a kid participates in learning and they do the assignment good enough, mastery of the teacher, and we let the teachers decide that, they got the point for that assignment. And right away, it's like, okay, so we just, in a right or wrong, we just had to make a quick decision at the beginning so every assignment was worth one point. You either get the point or you don't. And the first thing that started happening is t- teachers were putting in point .7, point .5, and I'm like, what are, <laughs> what you, are doing? you doing? <laughs> well, I'm grading it. They didn't get the full point then they either get the, it's just, oh my gosh. And then we still had like 20 point, it's like, you, so then this, we get a percentage. Okay, let's say a kid had 14 assignments to do during school, school closure. They did all 14 to satisfactory. So they got one point for each of those 14 points that were available. So that shows a hundred percent. And our teachers were averaging that 100% with the third quarter grade. I'm like, no. Guys, 100% isn't a grade. That's their progress. That's how much of the work they did that you wanted them to do.
0: So we realized really fast in our school district, and we are just so incredibly normal. I can't imagine it's not happening happening everywhere else. And uh, we realized really fast, oh my goodness, you guys. Teachers and students and parents are so hung up on yeah. grades. We're going to mastery. I mean, we just want the kids to do the work and learn something right yeah. now. So you do it or you don't do it. And if the teacher decides it's not done well enough, mm-hmm. you have the conversation till it's done to mastery, right? right. That's what, It's not a hard concept. You would think that the world has fallen down, and these are phenomenal teachers. So it's another conversation that we are so hung up on grades. And I had a conversation about this from with um, an educator I really respect from another district, too. And they're they're kind of having the same problem. Everyone's so... And deadlines, right? Like when the learning has to be done by opposed to this fluid like we want to learn and as long as Mm -hmm. you learn it, we don't care when. So we're really hung up on grades and we're really hung up on deadlines and doing it right the first time. Because I get that. That's something that that, um, it it shows integrity when you do something right the first time. But if the goal is to learn, then this idea of Mm -hmm. doing it over again would would be appropriate. So we're hung up on grades. We're hung up on deadlines. And it is just, it's like one of those things, right? When you have a problem, you just need to admit you have a problem, Mm -hmm. right? (laughs) So (laughs) I have lots of them, lots of them. But... It is impossible to get many teachers to admit, like, that they either don't understand grades or that grades are freaking hard and they're not actually reflective all the time of what the kid knows. And I don't care how hard you try to make sure that grade is reflective of what that student knows. It is freaking hard, you guys. And you're kidding yourself. Mm -hmm. I'm talking to some people that that I know and love that tell me, oh, but... Our standards-based learning English teachers, they know what a six is. but Get out of here. They don't. You are so far removed from the classroom if you think that six reflects any like exactly what they know. Because here's what happens. Grades can tend to be a motivating factor for students in the classroom. And, and a really good teacher, the best teachers I've ever worked for, um, and tried to do with grades is they have that fine balance of knowing how to motivate students Mm -hmm. through what they do, what they complete, showing work in progress. Like it is like, I think teaching's kind of a circus anyway. And I think we're performers, but it is a fine performance when you find a teacher who can motivate students to do the damn work. Mm -hmm. Like, and that's kind of what grades do from time to time. And I hate grades. Um, I'm the, I'm the one who got rid of Alan Hal at our school district. I went to the board and proposed to get rid of those because the GPAs are not reflective no kid in our district is running the same damn race and so for them to be graded the same way is just bonkers to me so all these higher-ups who tell me oh and our standards-based learning oh, our teachers know because they went to five professional development class. they don't right. and the thing of it is is you're sitting in a classroom with the superintendent's kid with the principal's kid and with the kid who doesn't have food to eat they're not they're not always reflective of what they know. Because a couple of the kids have the ability to do the work and do it over again and do it well. And some kids in your class don't. They don't have any help. And they don't have the ability to do the work well. And they have such a big gap. Um, So I'm just, my, my first slay is, why can we not admit that grades are BS? That you don't know them very well. And even if you're one of the teachers who know them really well and know your content really well, it's still freaking hard it's just hard mm-hmm. and they're not always reflective of what kids know and it's like this tight wire rope but then it, it just amazed me through this is how like how certain people are you know like they're so certain in their 90 percent mm-hmm. in their deadlines and their mm-hmm. their amount of work and homework they're putting out I'm like gosh you know how'd you get so certain about that it's just it's mm-hmm. blown my mind so there's my rant so
1: that was an excellent rant by the way um Cause I'm going to rant just, I got to just want tell one more story at least about our school closure and kind of how this happened for us. But so for, like I said, we just went right or wrong just for the school closure, just for those nine weeks, every assignment's worth a point. And we, I've told the teachers, whatever you need to identify the standards that are most important, the standards that need to be taught and wrap an assignment or something around that. But you need to pare stuff down. You can't do everything you were doing before. So I told him on a Friday, kind of at the tail end of our spring break, anything you thought you were doing, cut it in half. Came back on Monday after I had the opportunity for the first time to sit down and do more research. I said, okay, what you cut in half, you need to cut it in half again of what you think you're going to do. And long story short, I mean, I ended up, I could not have driven that message home further. Pair it down, pare it down, pare it down. I even... To the point, like, I told them, like, if you're a core subject, maybe two assignments a week. Non-core, you can have one. And keep in mind, we're going to go eight or nine weeks total. Um, I have elective classes that we did not even need to offer because they're not core. They're not these elective classes, these uh, teachers that just felt the need that their, their subject was so important and at the end of this nine-week closure, so I'm thinking a core class might have 15 to 18 assignments during the nine weeks would have been appropriate. Any non-core, I would have been okay if they had eight or nine assignments. And so I had a non-core teacher, an elective course, with 37 assignments <laughs> during the nine
0: 37.
1: weeks. Thirty-seven. Thirty-seven. Give me a break. Absolutely. And I mean, I had this teacher in tears because I pared them down, paired it down, and got it down. I thought it was lower than what it ended up being, and it I think she snuck more assignments in on me at the end. So here's my point with this story. Every assignment is just worth the point. You get the point or not. So let's pretend you had 10 assignments for the nine weeks is what you had. And so you get the first assignment done. You have one point out of the 10. You have a 10%. That's 10% of the work is done that you as the teacher said had to be done. You get five of the 10 done. So you got a 50%. So these teachers, all of a sudden, they just insisted they had to have all these assignments. And then they started telling me, well, the the student has a 70%, so I guess they could be done if they don't want to participate. And I'm like, no, they have 70% done of what you assigned that you said was so important to do. Why did you assign the other 30% if you're willing to stop at 70? Exactly. They don't understand grades. And that I, I can't be done with my rant until I just make it very clear that, Highly qualified, fantastic classroom teachers do not understand grades. And I'm not saying all of them, but I'm telling you, I got evidence during this school closure, during this this virus break, that fantastic, awesome teachers, I mean, we're talking acclaimed teachers, do not understand assessing. Um, They don't, because... They started taking that pro- that grade from, okay, now they got 8 of the 10 assignments done. they got an 80%. Well, when they average that with third quarter, they're passing. That's not no. a damn grade. It just was driving me crazy how many teachers, and I'm talking many teachers, had no clue what a grade, what an assessed grade is. So my backside, so I'm going to step away from that. My point is teachers do not understand grades. Parents don't understand grades. A lot of us don't. And you and I are both math, ex-math teachers, and so we understand numbers pretty well. My other side is, I do think, like, the way we do grades. One thing is, like, if you did an ACT test or a standardized test or, you know, the MAPS, NWEA, those are assessments. And those are grades. That's a score. That's based on knowledge. That's quality of work and knowledge. I'm so glad you're bringing this up. But in a classroom, I do believe that's important. There's no doubt that's important. But one thing we know about society and what we try to prepare students for in the future is also production. And so it's not uncommon like to do daily grades. And In other words, to somehow assess and score, and we call it a grade, their production. So to me, grading in a classroom is this constant balance between production and quality. In other words, quality like how good could they do on a test but production how many assignments can they turn in production how well do they participate in class production how well do they do showing up you know every day in class so it is that's the other thing that causes the confusion with grades is i do i agree with the teachers that production is important it's an important value now what the balance is whether it's 50-50 60-40 in other words when i taught uh, ap classes ap math classes Quality was more important than the production. And so I is to the point where I don't really care about the daily work or your homework or your practice. It's about how you can perform because we have to do this thing called the AP exam at the end of the semester. And that is for you to get college credit. That's what this class is about. So I didn't put a lot of weight on the production. But if I was teaching freshmen or sophomores, let's say in an algebra two class, I put more weight on the production because I'm trying to teach them to be responsible and bring that up. So that's the other thing that really clouds the grading thing to me is, is how you're constantly trying to put a score or a letter or a percentage on a grade book. You know, and I, I think that adds a lot of confusion too. And so then when we move to this school closure and we're just looking at mastery, it, everyone's just completely out of their realm.
0: They're so confused. And I love how you brought up the ACT because I think that's another strong reflection of how teachers who are so freaking confident in their 74% like, un- will like, go to the grave saying that that was the standard space and they knew 74% of the material. It's not accurate because you cannot... Accurately take these kids' ACT scores, and we could go and talk about like test anxiety. And like, heck, I have a lot of anxiety when I'm not very confident in my what I'm talking about, too, or my material. But we will have a whole nother topic about that. But very rarely are these kids' grades reflective of their ACT scores, rarely in in subject across subject matters. And that was like one of the huge pushes I know for no child left behind for so long is that our, our grades were just incredibly inflated to what these kids yeah. could and would perform at. And I like how you brought up math because I think math is a really, really good example of this because I'm just going to flat out say I, I kind of went into it because the grading is way less subjective. I've always had a really hard time Um, with writing. And and luckily I've been a pretty capable writer myself, but I've always had a really hard time with being graded on my writing. And I've had a hard time with grading other people's writing when I don't really love to read it in other voices. Um, Bless English teachers out there. You guys read a lot of bad papers, Uh, but I can't imagine eight o'clock on a Monday night being 14 papers deep into really bad writing and getting the grading right on the the 15th one. Mm -hmm. You know, I just can't imagine how exhausting that process is. And so I went into math and math's a really good example of that on how it's a fine balance because man, To be good at math, like shooting free throws, you got to shoot a lot of free throws. Like, if I'm going to be the best damn free throw shooter in this building, I better get my tail in the gym and shoot free throws every day. And math's a really good example. And I'm sure writing, I've just never taught the other subjects very similar. Mm -hmm. Um, So it takes a lot of practice. And to get kids to do their homework is like pulling their teeth. And I know we say these days, kids don't, oh, please. Like, give me a day that kids ever wanted to do their algebra homework. (laughs) Like, it just, it's hard. And so it's just like tightrope balance of, well, if a kid is motivated by grades and they want to do well on assessments, then they're going to have to practice. Um, and we as math teachers know that we've tried it both ways, right? Mm-hmm. We've tried putting no weight in grades on homework because really it's just practice. We just, yeah. we all we do it's is... the free throws. Yeah, we just care yeah. that they know how to do the material at the end. Like you and I, we didn't care when, we just... If you know how to do it, you're going to mm-hmm. score high. You're going to be a better person and look good. I'm going to look good because I'm a smart teacher yep. and, and capable yep. teacher. And we're we're all going to be happy. And you're going to get your diploma and be successful. That's all any teacher wants. But we're kidding ourselves if we think that that's easy. Because Absolutely. then it comes into the balance of, well, if I don't wait this practice, will they come? Will they do it? No. Rarely. A few mm-hmm. will. Um and if I do, just let them take assessments over and over and over again, but they refuse to do the practice. Whose time am I wasting? Mine and theirs, or both? So it's just so much more complicated than than we give it. And to just to know that there's so much wiggle room in those grades that that stuff is built in. A lot of those things are built in for practice, um, and you don't win championships in practice, right? You win it in the games. And so it's just its just so much more complicated. Um, the other way I realized that like, um, higher up and very intelligent people in our community did not understand grades is when I went to the school board for a balance out and how much weight we put on a GPA. And I had to take to them uh, two phenomenal students, um, almost perfect ACT score kids, and show them that we are differentiating and raking kids by the 91% or 94% they got in freshman health class, Yeah, right? And you cannot tell me, or P, or PE9, or band, yeah. or, you know, and I'm not saying that those guys don't know their grades at all, because I know they do, but the difference, there's not one person on this world to get out of here. If you think your standards-based learning people are any different, 15 pages into bad writing, mm-hmm. that they can differentiate that. It is just hard. It's so much harder than we give credit. And we're gonna rank kids compared to their ninety-two, compared to a ninety-four. Like, no. And plus, half the kids aren't even taking the same classes, and they're not running the same race. Right. You get to run a two-hundred-meter dash, and I have to run the three-hundred hurdles, and we're gonna get ranked. Mm-hmm. I mean, but the way we hold on to some of those things is, I mean, it's just societal, right? Mm-hmm. We're, we're used to it. Uh, we think it has value. We think that's what colleges want. Um, and some colleges do. Some of this is perpetuated by scholarships that require you to have a certain GPA, um, you know, just entrance exam requirements, those kind of things. But I just am blown away about the, how certain everyone is about this idea of grading and how they know very little about it. Like, they come to me with their certainty about this kid's 74, and I'm looking at their grade book. I was like, you don't even have your category weight set up right. Yeah. Like, how, how are you so certain about that?
1: Yeah, yeah. so three years ago, you'd proposed, and we changed a, a policy to the LOD system, so the summa cum laude, et cetera, um, and that'll start with our next year's graduating class. So we built it in. Anyone in the building is still in the original system, and that way we start with the freshmen will go through, so that'll start next year for us. You know, the other thing that throws in is what makes a good teacher, what makes a good learner, is building in curiosity to learn is when mm-hmm. you can have the magic as a, as a classroom teacher to create curiosity so that your students self-initiate the learning process. And there again, it's hard to grade, you know, put a number on that, uh, the, the powerful thing that teachers do. Um, but that's another example that grading is just that hard. Grading is just hard. It is. And um, in our teaching careers, you know, we've learned many lessons. You know, I had the one kid who would never finish homework. Mm-hmm. He would do homework in the classroom. Slowly participate, never do anything outside of class. So it was had a failing daily grade, but yet could get an A, a low A on about every test I handed out. And that kid taught me a lesson that the game, like free throws, you know, in practice are one thing, but you got to perform in, in the game. This kid was a gamer. This kid could game. Game day, he's on. He just didn't. Alan a,
0: Iverson? Did you? Was his name Allen Iverson? I don't need you practice?
1: talk about practice. practice. Sorry. <laughs> um, and then I had the, the uh, another student who who failed for a variety of reasons, not turning in work, low tests, kind of half an effort on the tests themselves. And I went ahead and failed him and made him retake it the next semester. And the next semester he got an A. And so, I mean, that taught me a lesson too, that, you know, there's got to be a way, like, it's okay to fail a student when you know they're not performing, um, that they can perform and, and teach, have an opportunity to teach them. And so there's those lessons along the way too. But um, back to the ACT, my my other thought on there, and I've thought this for years and years and years, you give me a student with a 22 or a 23 ACT with a near 4.0 GPA, there again, and that goes back to your comment that the GPAs in high school don't don't match perfectly well with the ACT score that students get. That tells us Number one, that we, we, we're we wrong with grades. We don't, we don't get it. Or that tells us it's that production piece that's not in the ACT that we do well in the school. Um, and so my point is, a 22 or a 23 ACT student with a 4.0 or a near 4.0 GPA, that's a kid I want to hire.
0: Absolutely. That,
1: because those identify to me. Those are hard workers. Those are people who are motivated to, you know, and I know the grades motivate them and that kind of thing. But... If the grades motivate them, they're going to be motivated to work for you. They're going to be motivated to be productive, and um, and I think and there's so much value in there. But there again, if you go to standards-based grading, and we're doing this rubric grading, are are we recognizing and rewarding that hard work piece as well? Uh, also, you know, and the, so that's what's hard about it. I, I'm sitting here as an administrator saying I understand the number, the numerical part of it. I understand averaging, and I understand how you do. Like, we got teachers that still struggle with the semester grade is an average of the two quarters. <laughs> and I understand all that stuff, but my point is I don't know that I understand the, the, the balance to recognize the hard work to production piece of a student, which very, is clearly valued. There's a lot of value to that as an employee in the future, or a family member, or someone who can provide for their family. You need a hard worker, you know, and I, I don't mind recognizing that. Also, with quality, like how well they could, they are on game day. How well they're going to assess and the quality of, of work, the AP exam, the ACT. So, it is that hard. It is hard.
0: We're just asking teachers. Just learn your grade book a tiny bit yeah. before you pump these. You know, and. I think what, what I've tried to do, and i failed miserably at it, but I'm going to keep trying until the day mm-hmm. I die, is to get parents and, and students to quit putting their self-worth in their damn grades yep. and in their ACT score, right? Because yep. it is what you say it all the time, and I steal this line, what we do here is so much more important than that. Um, and what we teach in the growth students, it, they, it's just so much more important than that. And so... I'm just asking teachers like have an idea of your weights before you get on your soapbox and tell a kid that they're they're a 65% because that's what they a lot of kids they see that on on a piece of paper and they said, "Oh, I'm I'm yeah. I'm a failure. Yeah. I failed, therefore I'm a failure." So, I I just think we have to have a real conversation yep. about how hard grading is and how bad we are at it and how bad some of our best teachers are at it.
1: I don't want to give up this podcast without telling uh, two stories, and and one is an example of just a different a different idea of grading that I had used in the past, and I think one of our teachers still does. And I picked it up at an AP conference or some learning session somewhere. So I was teaching AP statistics, and I only did it for that class. And I just thought, you know, the game day, being able to... And, and one thing about the AP exam is you have to defend your answers. It's not so much what the answer is, but you have to have a defense for it. And um, Anyway, so... I started the semester, every student had a 90%, just, just to be a, just to show how ridiculous the numbers are. Everyone is a 90 and then every time we did a, a you know, once a week if we had a required assignment or like a lab, um, then we would do exams, you know, unit exams, every time we did one, if they did it to my expectations, it was like, congratulations, you're still at a 90 And they're like, what? And if they did poorly on it, I would drop them down to an 89. So I could give them a minus one or a minus two. And they're like, well, how do we get above a 90? I said, well, you got to do something more. And that created the curiosity piece of all of a sudden. And I mean, I never gave out a plus one or a plus two. I mean, nobody could jump up after the first test. So you go to the second one, and oh, I mean, they're writing pages of trying to defend, but it doesn't really go into the detail of the meat and potatoes of where the defense is. And again, I would just kind of like applaud, like, "Nice job!" You know, you wrote two pages to answer that question. You got a ninety, and it would drive them crazy. And and it sparked the curiosity piece of how they could figure out to to provide more, to do more. And it was really fun. Um, and it just so happened that if you got the plus one every single time, you could get you could get to a hundred, perhaps, at the end of the semester. But it was really really hard to do that. And to be honest with you, the lowest you would get is probably an 85 mm-hmm. or an 83, uh, something like that. Because you're taking an AP te- uh, uh, class. You know what I mean? It's like you, you already have proven yourself. You've taken all the prerequisites. So that was kind of a fun thing. But the other thing um, that s- sparked in my mind when you were talking about kids do identify. They label themselves based on these grades that they've gotten in the past And they will do it based on the first grade they get in your class. They will? Your first grade. If they get a D on the first grade, they'll label themselves there and you'll lose some motivation. So there's a story, and I heard this just a few weeks ago, and I apologize. I wasn't prepared for it today um, because I don't know the details. But the story was um, shared on a podcast I was listening to about a guy who either at the end of his junior year took the SAT, because this is on the East Coast, on the SAT, I think uh, uh, 1600 is a perfect score you right. got 800 math 800 and like a the language part well this student was a low achieving student they took the SAT and he got his scores back and he had a seven uh or excuse me had a 1460 I was like wow and all of a sudden he has scholarships and and interested in him he's like man if I'm a I better not waste it. if I'm a 1460 kind of always been kind of a low performing student they redid their class schedule for their senior year graduated, went ahead and took these scholarships based on the 1460, got a, a four-year bachelor's degree and come from a low income, and op- families uneducated beyond high school. Um, this guy was telling the story and he says that got the 1460. He had just finished his doctorate degree when the college board or the SAT board whoever does it does their 10-year audit and the 10year audit was done and he got a note saying, hey, this isn't that uncommon, but we just want to let you know that your score was inappropriately reported at a 1460. You actually had a 740.
0: OMG, that just gave me tingles. True story. That's the truth,
1: though. The guy finished a doctorate degree, and the only thing, so never once did he, at a 740 or whatever he was, the only thing he changed was his actions. The only thing he changed was his belief of who he was, where he was. That's the only thing different. He wasn't any smarter, any different when he got that 1460, when he should have actually, his score was the 740. But he just believed that, geez, I better start acting like a 1460. I better, geez, I don't want to waste this opportunity. And so that's the other thing about grades that when we were kind of in the school closure, like we just want students to participate. We do not want to use grades as a punishment, it just drives me crazy.
0: And that's what I was talking about earlier when I said my best mentors in, and it was in math education. They used grades to make Motive. kids feel like they were smarter yep. in that material. Yep. And and they had a way to make them redo it, redo it, rework it, change it just a little bit, come in after school, come in before school. Oh, you're doing so good. To make them feel that when they ended that class. They like that subject better. They felt smarter when they left your classroom than when they began because they got it. They felt like they got for whatever reason. And they still might not have, you know, they might not be world beaters on the ACT, but when they left your dang classroom, they felt like, I can take another math class. Yeah. I'm not beat up by this. I can do it. And, and you can use grades to do that for kids. You can also use grades to cripple kids, to like that 740 or... That's a great example of what I'm talking about with grades. But none of it, none of doing that is like, well, you are a six on a standard, and I know my standards really well. Mm -hmm. Get that out of here. I mean, I'm not saying we don't have to have standards. I'm just saying that's what grades could be. Just that story Mm -hmm. right there. I love it.
1: Yep. So grades are hard. Grades Grades are hard. I don't have all the answers either because it's hard for me too. Um, I could could see that during the school closure that it – a- astonished me how much our teachers don't understand grades and how they were averaging the progress grade from this quarter with an assessed grade last. Um, that's what I think started for me. And I had this really frustrating time with some teachers of, and I just kind of quit. I was like, I- I'm here to benefit students and those that participate, but, um, that was eye opening for me is, is to go through this mastery learning. The other thing it sparked for us was this talk about grades. And, and like we've got um, teachers on our leadership committee have mentioned that, you know, if we do this school closure thing to start next fall, we would grade different. I, I, I told them 100% agree with that. There's no way I would do it the same that we did here. I don't, you know, this was a, a quick fix, band aid fix on, on the fly. Um, But it's not how I would do it. And we started having these talks about how we could do a little more combination with some standards-based or uh, rubric-based type of grades. And um, It was the first time that we had teachers talking about grading or assessing outside of that traditional monotonous way we've been doing it for 200 years.
0: So we started, when, when we first went into School Closure, one of the episodes, and you have to listen to this, is... Um what could education look like, right? And we had these grandiose ideas of maybe digital learning will be really successful and maybe this. And we found out it's it's just not. We should have known it wasn't going to be wildly successful. We've got some ideas how to use it and incorporate it for sure. But maybe this is maybe this is the golden egg. You know, maybe yeah. the actual conversation about how little the teachers really know about grading and how um, just inaccurately students and parents tie their self-worth to grades. Maybe this is our golden egg opportunity to have a conversation to find something that works a little better for kids Uh, but at the end of the day not a lot of people know what a grade is how to grade um it's all right we're gonna we're gonna work it's hard we're gonna continue to work with both students parents and teachers like i said we're gonna um keep spreading the message even if it's not like wildly received i told you today i might spin the troops we might have spun some troops today
1: (laughs) Uh, yeah we might have but Um, It is an opportunity, you know, that's what we talked about. This is an opportunity for us to really take a look at and see if we can figure out a better way to do um, art. Hard things. Work hard things. Those yeah. hard So <laughs>
0: if you're on board with us, if you like the message, we could surely use a five-star review. I will pander to this audience to try to get some five-star reviews. The more of those reviews we get, the more people will see this podcast, and we can talk, start talking about larger, broader topics in education and change schools for the better to help kids, because that is what we're here for. I'm Lonnie Watson. And I'm Jerry Mack. This is The School Office. We'll see you next week.